You are listening to the regular version of Sexy Marriage Radio, smrnation.com. You've turned on Sexy Marriage Radio, where the best sex happens in the marriage bed. Here's your host, Dr. Corey Allen. Well, it's Thanksgiving week here in the States. And I am thankful for the SMR Nation and how each and every week they spend some time with us, right? They they call in, they email, they ask their questions, they share their praises and supports, they jump on iTunes, they rate and review the show, they they subscribe their family members, whatever it is that they make. Right, right. (laughs) We're so grateful for that. Yeah. Totally. And so we want to take just a quick moment out to Mm -hmm. say thank you. Yeah. Because... This is the time of year where it's good. It's a good idea to take stock of, mm-hmm. of what's going on and who you're grateful for and, and the things that add value to your life. And, That's right. And the SMR Nation adds value to us as we hope we add value to them. That's right. And so the way you can let us know what's going on and ask your questions or tell us what's going on and how you're celebrating or what you're looking forward to, 214-702-9565 or feedback at sexymarriageradio.com. That's how we interact with everybody Mm -hmm. it seems the Mm -hmm. inbox keeps pinging Mm -hmm. and the voicemail if you leave a voicemail gets you to the front of the line so we're so glad that you're here Mm -hmm. coming up on today's regular free version of sexy marriage radio is a conversation that i had with jw freiberg okay who is a social psychologist and a lawyer Mm -hmm. and he has a couple of different books out that are all on the thread and topic of loneliness. Which is an interesting topic right now, especially when you talk about the holidays and the combo of the pandemic and Mm -hmm. the holidays and so many people that maybe have been holed up for so long and now it's just emphasized even more. Absolutely. I'm excited for this. And the the other interesting thing to this too, Pam, is that... um, the whole concept of loneliness is pre-pandemic. Sure even, it is. Right? This, it's an epidemic of loneliness that right. it actually is a risk for your life. Mm-hmm. And uh, even over in the UK, the prime minister has uh, appointed someone to help address that issue within from government level down, like to for the country wide, countrywide right. to start looking at the aspects of loneliness. And yeah. so... In this conversation, he and I go into um, some of the different books he's got and and the, his take on it because he just tells stories mm-hmm. and and the importance of it mm-hmm. and the value of the connection and how things have changed from what we were as a civilization to what we are now. Mm-hmm. That he even made a comment that stood out to me that uh, he and his wife for a while lived in an apartment in Boston. And the the firewall that they shared butted up against to their neighbor's mm-hmm. um, bed, too. So, like, it's theoretically, they were sleeping 20 inches from somebody else, and they had no idea who that someone else was. Right. Right? And, and right. it's just, you think about, that's the state of our world. And so it's a fascinating conversation that he and I had. And mm-hmm. then coming up on the extended version of Sexy Marriage Radio, which is deeper, longer, and there are no ads, you can subscribe at smrnation.com forward slash SMR Academy. We continue the conversation, but we get into the idea of looking at the loneliness through the lens of the seasons of life, from mm. birth to mid 
to mm-hmm. later to end, right? Mm-hmm. And how all of them fit because one of his books uh, looks at four different stories of the different life stages. Yeah. That are all cases he was experiencing as a lawyer. And so mm-hmm. he just kind of took it and ran with it Interesting and, and, told, and tells their story. Mm-hmm. So all that's coming up on today's show. Great. Well, joining me today for this episode of Sexy Marriage Radio uh, is a social psychologist and a lawyer. That's an odd combination, I guess, That, but I guess maybe not so much then, uh, if, the more I think about it, is J.W. Freiberg, um, that the way I was kind of found you is uh, you would be in the loneliness world is kind of where you've landed and you have like a trilogy of books even that I think is called like the lonely the loneliness trilogy, right, Terry? Indeed, that's right. <laughs> so I guess to start off, and just so we're, we kind of uh, fill in one gap, because the official name is J.W. Freiberg, but you go by Terry. Right. Uh, those don't seem to go together. No, they don't. <laughs> so where's that come from? Oh, that that because... Uh... When my mother was pregnant, her, her so was her best girlfriend, and they sat on a beach in 1944 and talked about what they were going to nickname their kids. Okay, and agreed on Terry. So we're both called Terry, even though we ha- our legal names have no link to that. <laughs> okay, so predetermined nicknames. I like it. All right. Yeah. So when you when I'm looking at the, all the different books you've got out, um, and it's all with the with this undercurrent and. And the whole thread of loneliness, how did you land in this topic and in this category? Well, my law practice was uh, a little uh, constricted uh, in the sense that I had these two degrees, the doctorate in social psychology and then the law degree from, from Harvard Law. And I became the Boston lawyer who was general counsel to uh, most of the social service agencies. Okay. And and. and as the years and decades went by, clinicians would call me with case-specific uh, legal consultation needs. Sure. More and more people were showing up lonely in their clinical practices. They had other issues, too, many of them, but right. they kept reporting being so isolated and feeling like they had no linkages to others that meant anything to them. And so the topic of loneliness arose in the world, if you like. Mm-hmm. And I became probably behind the uh, behind the curve, uh, slowly sensitized to the fact that uh, I didn't know anything about loneliness, what mm-hmm. was going on. And so I read the, the literature uh, 25, 30 years ago, what was there, and have since seen the topic just balloon. Right. It's now a public health crisis right. of significance. Um, it's uh, the Surgeon General of the United States, um, Murthy, Vivek Murthy, under President Obama, called it an epidemic of loneliness. And in the United Kingdom, the prime minister actually appointed a cabinet-level secretary of loneliness to deal with these issues. So I I guess that that, let's just start there. Um, What is it that creates it? Because I know one of the books you've got is called Surrounded by Others Yet So Alone, uh, which is a fabulous title (laughs) because that seems like you know that we we seem to be living in an age of the most connected world ever if you think about it on just a macro level that's the way it can all be spun by the social media and all the different technology companies that are out there but yet it's still an epidemic 
Exactly. Think for a moment back in history, and I don't care what continent somebody's ancestors came from, all around the globe, we lived in villages. We lived in communities. Right. We grew up around our siblings, our first cousins, our second cousins. We married someone who, whose family was completely known to our parents. Yep. And so we, there was no space, no social space to grow lonely in. There, were, there was probably no privacy either. There were <laughs> right. <laughs> plenty of downsides in communal village life, but there was no loneliness, if you like. Right. Except individuals who might have been psychologically um, divided from others and had that issue. But mm-hmm. sociologically, there was no massive creation of loneliness. Today, we live in big cities where we don't even know our neighbor. I mean, I uh, one of the class examples I used to use when I would uh, lecture on the topic was the apartment uh, that my wife and I used to live in, in in downtown Boston. Through the firewall was another couple uh, sleeping 20 inches from us, if you like, mm-hmm. just divided off by a row of bricks. Mm-hmm. We would never meet. Right. And and that's fascinating because here in the in Texas, in, in the suburbs and the areas where, where we live, uh, one of the things that my wife and I have discovered is the house we've been in for over 20 years now, we were very intentional that we bought in a neighborhood that the, the driveways were in the front. The garage was in the front of the house because a lot of the neighborhoods around us, the garages are in the back. And so you actually have alley entries. And you come and go behind the house and there's something about, you don't even know if someone's home or not, but if there's a garage in the front, you know, when people are home, there's more likelihood you're going to be out front. And there's such a difference in the dichotomy of the way those two neighborhoods feel that you see people or you don't, you you know, there's neighbors there or you don't, or you don't know. And there is something interesting about the fact that we can live so close to each other, but yet not know each other. Is that kind of a a thread of something that's changed over people that we don't go out and meet our neighbors or is it because we don't have that communal upbringing that we that kind of in- established that where you already knew them because you were growing up around them? I think all the above. I mean, okay. I think they work together. So yes, uh, we, we live alongside someone in a house and we may say hello, good morning to them. And, uh, Hey, let me, I grabbed your ca- trash can and brought it in yesterday because right. you, know, you didn't seem to be home. But that's different from in communal society when people knew each other through multiple generations. Okay. Uh, I grew up in, uh, when I was very young, I was, uh, my family lived in Cincinnati, Ohio for five or six generations. And the kids I knew uh, and grew up with were the children of friends, my parents and their friends. And the grandparents had all known each other and the great grandparents had all known each other. So you saw the same names uh, in school right. that you saw in your parents' uh, phone calls to their friends that you saw in the graveyard. You know, yeah. <laughs> families knew each other through throughout generations. And that's, of course, not at all typical today. Yeah. The only thing I only place I can think where that can almost still be occurring is in the small towns. Uh, You know, my wife and I, when we first got married, we went to a small town in East Texas and we felt like outsiders because we didn't have generations in that we came from within the town. And there was an element of if you grew up there, you were known because it's small enough and there was one school. And, you know, so there's this this thread but an outsider coming in, there was this whole, 
how do we kind of fit in <laughs> with, with some people when we don't know grandma and great grandma? And so maybe there's a little bit in small towns, I hope. Let's let's kind of sure. at least we can throw it out there and hope. Of course, you're right. There, there can be and there often is. And, and, and a lot of us seek um, some element to our life that is communal. For example, many people go to summer vacation uh, or, or winter vacation, depending on where you're living and want to get to some good weather mm-hmm. uh, and refine the same groups of, of people uh, at, at our summer site. Or we do this in clubs and various voluntary organizations where we're, we on purpose make ourselves part of a community of other people who love bowling or this kind of film or this kind of music right. so that we are in a community setting. We seek that. And it's really interesting to ask why we seek that. And I think it's not just our human element. It's mm-hmm. our animal part. We are a type of mammal like the cetacean mammals. Those are the seagoing mammals or some of the some of the herd animals, not all, and some types of great apes, not all. And there have been some fascinating studies. For example, baleen whales that migrate uh, 12, 15,000 miles from uh, summer to winter, they've put uh, uh, electronic following devices on some of them. Right. And, and the scientists in that field have learned that, that the whales, particularly the females, find each other year after year, 12,000 miles from where they started. And, and they have, yeah, they have sort of friendships and that's the kind of mammal we are. Yeah. We, we nuzzle up, other mammals nuzzle up against each other. They nurse their young after all, and they nuzzle in herd security. Mm-hmm. That's who we are. We have, we're still animals, even though we're human animals. Right. And part of our animal nature is to touch each other, to be close to one another, to form ongoing alliances. That's when we feel safe. Mm-hmm. That's why people who aren't bonded to others in, in communal or family settings experience loneliness. Loneliness for me is not a thought. It's not an idea. It's a sensation okay. like or thirst or fear. We don't think hungry. We feel hungry. We don't think thirsty. We feel thirsty. And we don't think lonely. We feel lonely. It comes up at us. And let me give you an example from another kind of mammal. Uh, just a few weeks ago, I was uh, driving on a little tiny road uh, where, near where I live and I uh, at dusk, and I ended up separating one deer from his little herd of deer on the other side of the road. Okay. When he realized that my car was, which I was going super slow because it was a lovely evening, just looking at nature. When he, when this deer realized that he had been separated from his herd, <clears throat> you could see his whole body straighten up in fear. That That's uncomfortable for yeah. him. He didn't have the support of his herd. Yeah. And that's the way we humans feel when we find ourselves isolated. And the name we give that feeling is loneliness. Right. We'll be right back with more of our conversation right after this. So Pam, we've had a long-term sponsor now mm-hmm. for the shows, and that's betterhelp.com. Mm-hmm. That's H-E-L-P. And one of the things I absolutely love is there are all kinds of times in life where there's something that prevents our happiness or achieving our goals, mm-hmm. or we're facing loneliness. Mm-hmm. So it's good to know that BetterHelp will help assess your needs and match you to your own licensed professional therapist. And in many cases, you can start communicating with somebody in 
under 48 hours. That's great. That is. It's not a crisis line, and it's not self-help. This is actually professional counseling done securely online. So are these folks that, they do things that are different than you. You focus on couples, uh, men, adults, that kind of thing. And this is a variety of other counselors that hit all kinds of other gamuts or how is that different? Some of them would actually do what I do as well. And so this is actually one therapist recommending other therapists because one of the things that matters to me is that this is a service that's available worldwide. Mm -hmm. And it's also one, it's a service that matches you with the right therapist because not all people will jive with my style or my thought. Some other people like a female might want a female to talk to. Definitely. And that's a reality. And so I am a big proponent and BetterHelp has been so successful lately that there are over 1 million people who have taken the charge of their mental health with the experience, the help of an experienced professional. Mm -hmm. And there's been so many people that have been using BetterHelp that they're actually recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states to help meet the need. Because as today's show talks about with Mm -hmm. loneliness, it's an epidemic. Mm-hmm. And so BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches and to make affordable traditional counseling. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier, healthier life today. You can visit betterhelp.com forward slash SMR. That is betterhelp.com forward slash SMR. And listeners will get 10% off their first month. It's a special offer just for our audience. That's betterhelp.com forward slash SMR. Take charge of your life with the help of a professional today. This year's Thanksgiving holiday might be one of the most challenging anybody's ever faced. I mean, because we're all mm-hmm. facing a lot of unknowns and a lot of uncertainty and spikes in numbers. But it doesn't mean that you can't feel close. That's why I'm giving my loved ones the gifts that is the most meaningful this year, which is a chance to tell and hear stories and share memories using our sponsor, StoryWorth. StoryWorth is an online service that helps your loved ones share stories through thought-provoking questions that are about their memories, their personal thoughts, and it's a fun way to engage and pass things down because of the oral tradition. And so each week, StoryWorth would email a particular family member that you designate or to several. Mm -hmm. They get to answer those questions like, how's your life turned out differently than you imagined it would? Or what are some of the best pranks you've pulled? Or some of my favorite, or what are your favorite family vacations? Or Mm -hmm. what do you remember about this grade school incident? Or I wish I had that from my dad. Absolutely. (laughs) So reading the weekly stories is fun, and it makes your family feel close, even if you're not together. And then the coolest thing, Pam, is after one year... StoryWorth compiles all of these stories, including any pictures that you share, into a beautiful keepsake book that's shipped to your family for free. Oh, that's so cool. So give your loved ones the gift of spending time together wherever you live with StoryWorth. Get started right away with no shipping required by going to storyworth.com SMR. You get $10 off your first purchase. That's storyworth.com SMR for $10 off. So if we're talking about, I mean, because I love the idea of it's a communal aspect, that that's, that's a little bit of our hardwiring. Um, we're born into relationships. You know, that's, that, I love that kind of concept. Uh, and so when, you, when we find ourselves in these states of feeling, but we also then maybe are in a situation where I don't have a community. I don't, I don't know my neighbors. I mean, what is, is, what, what, what's my next best step, I guess I should take when I'm trying to combat this feeling? Well, exactly. Uh, you know, we live in an era, <clears throat> excuse me, 
when we when we're supposed to watch what we eat, watch what we drink, get some exercise. Right. We're aware of these issues and how we ought to uh, best treat our bodies. Um, and we well, we all take some steps. Uh, probably most of us are disappointed that we don't take yet more, but we do <laughs> conscious of these things. We also now need to be absolutely aware and conscious of our relationships with others. Right. They're not automatic like they were in communal society. You couldn't get rid of them in communal society. You were the child of a certain family. You were from a certain part of town. Your, your, your parent, usually your father, had a trade or craft that you would go into. All of that was determined. Now none of that's determined. Right. But you have to consciously watch that your relationships to others are sound and solid and working for you, that they're nurturing and give you care and safe and a feeling of safety. And there are, we have some wonderful tools to do this with. Um, if on, on my website, which is called the loneliness mm-hmm. there's a section called articles. And I put under there an article I wrote, uh, from psychology today about how to monitor your relationships, just like you monitor your eating, your drinking, smoking, your exercise. There's some tricks to the trade and they're very available um, and quick to absorb. They're not complicated or fancy. They're they're right there. Yeah. No. And and I like that because it it is that idea of, I mean, what's coming to my mind, Terry, is this idea that, uh, I came across the, a study that was referencing how uh, the state and the health of your relationships is the best determinant on longevity of life and quality of life, uh, even even beyond some of the other things that maybe have become in vogue of our diet, our exercise. You know, all that that's an important factor, absolutely, but it seems to be dismissed. So, uh, before we wrap up this little segment, I, I am curious your thought of where does social media fit into this and the connectedness, quote unquote that it proposes, how, how does that either aid and help or be a deterrent to, to what you've come across? Well, it, of course, it's, it, it, it's a complicated question. Totally. Uh, the social media, uh, on one hand, can absorb, uh, you know, particularly Generation X and the millennials in, into their uh, device to the point where they're not bothering to relate to real skin and bone friends who live around them and go to school with them and so on. So yes, the media can, the modern uh, um, uh, communication media can be misused, but they also can be wonderfully well used. Mm -hmm. For example, I'm a grandparent of uh, two small grandchildren who I'm not able to see because of COVID-19, but thanks to um, FaceTime and Zoom, I'm able to share with them what's going on in my life. And they are being kids of modern media. They have no mystery at all about uh, how come they can see a picture of their uh, grandpa on the phone and talk. And oh, yeah. so you can use them well, or you can misuse them like most things in life. Well, absolutely. I mean, I think all of that falls under that umbrella of use it. Don't be used by it. Right. In exactly. that kind of the whole, all, all the different things we have that are aids to life. And, and assist, they can also have a negative consequence to it sure. because even this, just this whole idea I'm thinking of, you, you alluded to there's, there can be downsides to being part of a generational community because you're, you're labeled, you're already 
hamstrung into, well, you're going to do this. So you don't have some of the freedom and agency and some of the things that maybe the world has, has shifted to by going more urban and bigger city. But the unintended consequence of some of these things is now we don't know the people that we live next to. And now we don't know, you know, that we are too mobile. And so you don't ever have roots that are deep down of a connectedness with people that can just add such a great flavor to life. Oh, absolutely. And, and for example, these, uh, you know, <clears throat> Zoom and, and FaceTime and their equivalents um, provide the um, visual element along with speaking on the phone. And mm-hmm. it's psychologically speaking, it's huge because what humans like other mammals do is a process we psychologists call mirroring. Mm-hmm. So we read the intent of the of the person we're looking at of the other animal we're looking at through all sorts of um body language and and facial expressions uh and we see this all the time when you startle a wild animal like a squirrel or or a deer or something they'll stare right in your eyes trying to figure out are you a predator right in fact are you a hungry predator do i need to worry about this Right? right they're mirroring and we do that all the time so with my little grandchildren having the 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 FaceTime, the face uh, along with the words is just huge because for me, uh, grandparenting is extremely important for children. Mm-hmm. Takes, remember in school, they taught us it takes two points to define a line. Well, I think it takes two generations to define a lineage. Hmm. So it's, it, it's through your parents and then your grandparents that you're led back to discussions of your roots and where your family comes from and what your way of, of, of life and values and, and, and normative structures are all about. So the modern media provide the opportunity to add the, the pictorial element to right. the audio element. And psychologically, that's extremely important. Totally, especially in today's day and age with isolation because of the pandemic and, and all that's going on, there's such a value to don't just pick up the phone to call somebody, pick up the phone to FaceTime them or Zoom them or Skype them or something. Because that's the one thing I've also noticed, Terry, is when I'm on the phone with somebody, I can put on my earbuds and walk around and do other things while I'm talking to them, even though I'm not really with them, as if I was sitting next to them and we're just chatting. And and so there is something about the 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 uniqueness and the closeness and the non-distractedness that a face-to-face kind of conversation can have, even if it is through a screen, that that's still a tremendous benefit because I'm doing, I'm not doing other things while I'm talking to them. Exactly. And just to add what your listeners can't see, as you, as you said that to me, your hands were moving a lot around a lot doing body language. It's part of the way we express. Exactly. As you hear me say that sentence, because you're letting me know, oh, I hear you. You're making sense. We're relating to one another. All of this comes through visually, not audially. So I really urge people uh, in, in, I'm in my seventies, in my age group, some people are a little bit afraid of the technology, but of course it's become so user-friendly. I urge people uh, to add the visual element to their audio linkage to their family and friends while they're going through isolation. That's great, Terry. So you already alluded to this uh, just a few minutes ago in in this segment, but I I would love for the members of the SMR Nation to know, how can they find out more about you? If you wouldn't mind just 
I'll put all this in the show notes too, as far as links to your site where they can find the books and, and find more about you, but how do they find more of you? Well, um, it's easy. I'm, I'm on Amazon, uh, under, uh, my name, which is J W Freiberg, F R E I B E R G or under the loneliness book. And, um, and my books are written in story format. I'm not trying to preach to right. academics. I write stories. I've, I've been called, and it's the what, the greatest honor, I guess, of uh, that I've had. I've been called the Oliver Sacks of law. So, <laughs> and it's quite an honor. Yeah. And we all know Awakening, the film Awakenings, yep. where Robin Williams plays Oliver Sacks, who was a, do- a medical doctor, a neurologist, mm-hmm. who in story format tells us about the discoveries he made between brain injury and strange behaviors, if you like. Right. And I write about law cases, but in story format so that they're available to anyone. I think the greatest compliment I've had uh, with my books is I was once at lunch uh, with an erudite uh, uh, intellectual friend of mine, a British uh, fellow who was educated at Oxford and I read everything kind of guy. and was saying some nice things about one of my earlier books, Four Seasons of Loneliness. When the assistant cook walked out from the kitchen and uh, very politely interrupted us, uh, she had a small break and she just said, Dr. Freiberg, I got to tell you, I loved your book. I related to it. It made me cry. It made me laugh. It right. made me feel and think. So they'd be complimented at once by an intellectual and someone whose education probably had a modest ceiling. Yeah. That was cool. Yeah, so that's very good. What I write is available to anyone who can read the English language. It's it's not fancy. It's stories from real law cases that end up talking about uh, how loneliness works, how it hurts people. But on the other hand, what they can do about it. Yeah, that's and I love that because this, th- this, is, uh, this is one of those things that more and more it's such a it's it's a bigger issue than even the pandemic right it's it's a bigger issue than a lot of the things that maybe we face because it has such serious consequences it does uh as for the consequences of dr john cacioppo at university of chicago for the last 30 years he and his team have studied how lethal loneliness is you you are much sicker with the ma- each of the major diseases, and you will die considerably younger right. if you don't have a set of rewarding, nurturing, soothing relationships with other people. It'll, it'll kill you, and it'll make you sick. Yeah. And as to how prevalent that is, about 30, in 2010, so this is already 10 years ago, about 35% of American adults self-identified as chronically lonely. Hmm. I don't mean a little bit lonely. Right. We're all a little bit lonely from right. time to time, just like we're all a little bit sad from time to time. Right. But we're not chronically lonely, just like we're not clinically depressed. Right. A big difference there. So something like 28, 29% of the American population, we're talking adults, which was defined as not college students, okay? Post-college student age-wise, about uh, 28% of the uh, American population now live alone. 28% of adult households mm-hmm. in the United States are single-person households. Hmm. Think about that. Right. 
And imagine what those people are going through when in, in the uh, particularly when we were under full sort of lockdown and they didn't even have the uh, help friendly hello on the street corner right. with the newspaper fellow or something. You right. know? Uh, so, yes, this is a big uh, issue and it's and it, it's very deleterious. It makes people sick and it kills them younger. Well, I applaud you for diving into this and and being willing to share the stories and and shed some light on this. And so uh, I'm looking forward to the next segment to go even a little bit of a different way with you. But Terry, thank you so much for joining me today thus far. Oh, it's my pleasure. So what stands out to me, Pam, is when I'm thinking back through this conversation uh, with Dr. Freiberg mm-hmm. is... Just this idea of how we we were raised. Initially, our civilization began in villages, and that had some pluses and minuses. Sure, right where you're sure. talking about generational names that yep. you know you're you're born into a family that's known and known and known and known, and even if you're different, that's your label, right? Right. And so there's a downside to it, but then if you look at it, how we've gotten a lot more mobile and a lot more independent and and able to just live and and change and mm-hmm. not have to necessarily be in the same spot that has some pluses but it also has some minuses sure it does and one of them is the villages that right. we've lost and so how important it is for us to seek out community right and one of the ways that comes to my mind right off the bat well two actually one is get involved with the church mm-hmm. i right? find a, a, a community of believers mm-hmm. and people that are of like-minded in, in some regards and, yeah. and can help just scratch that itch. And then the other is join the Academy. Yeah. Because there's a great community. You got, of a, you got a bunch of people that are like-minded and looking to just enhance and increase the capacities and the par- passion mm-hmm. in their marriages. So that's right. smrnation.com forward slash SMR Academy is where you can find more. Mm-hmm. Well, this has been sexy marriage radio. Thanks for taking some time out of your day to spend it with us each and every week that you do. And a happy Thanksgiving to you and yours. We'll see you next time.